Good morning, Anthem Church. Uh, there is no need for an introduction today because First uh, Peter 2 has spilled the beans on a topic that everybody within the church and beyond the church wants to know, the idea of submitting to the government, the idea of following after certain laws that are put in place, the idea of honoring certain emperors. In the culture that we live in, the, the chunk of history that we're in right now, uh, it's, a, it's a hot topic button so often within the church and beyond the church of what do we do? What do we do with a law that's maybe put in front of us that we don't agree with? What do we do with uh, a, an emperor of the land that maybe we don't agree with? What do we do as followers of Jesus with those sort of things? And so there's, there's no need for, for some tension-filled introduction because God's Word has already done that for us. And so this morning, um, the topic that we are diving into is building a healthy witness through honor and submission because God's Word does say to honor and submit to authorities. And so we're going to see through His Word what it looks like as a church to be a witness through our honoring and through our submission. Um, but, but real quick, uh, before I, I pray and we begin to walk through the context and the passage itself, just want to throw this out there um, as kind of a pastoral side note. What, whatever governmental figure or governmental structure that is, is maybe the ideal in your mind, that structure, that individual, even at their best, is never going to be as great and as glorious as the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And so we never want to think that it's just about one man or, or one government or one entity. It's about one Lord. And so to have that in front of us. And, and another thing, on the flip side, whichever political structure you maybe don't prefer or political figure that maybe isn't ideal in your mind, there, there's no way that that individual is as evil as the person that Peter is calling the early church to submit to. And so with, with that in mind, to kind of get those distractors away from us, uh, let's uh, pray and go into the text. And so God, we just thank you uh, for your word and that it can guide us, that it can help us know how to conduct ourselves in a living life, God. And I pray that this morning uh, the word would be clear, that there wouldn't be uh, thoughts from this last week or thoughts of the week to come that, that would steer us uh, away from the, the next few minutes as we open up your word to understand how we can honor and submit to others, Lord, for your sake and as witnesses. And so God, I just pray over uh, this morning in Jesus' name. We'll go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 2 if you're not already there. Um, the, the context of, of the time, uh, pretty much Rome is a big deal. That, that's what we have to know about this passage at this point in history. Uh, the Roman Empire uh, was massive. One in four people that walked on planet Earth were born a Roman citizen and they died a Roman citizen. So it was a massive empire, the, the DNA, kind of the, the aspects of the civilization that marked who it was or wasn't, tended to be, yeah, they're, they're an impressive government. They, they might have a lot of sophisticated ideas, but when it comes to how that government functions, it was marked by greed and it was marked by brutality. And so when we think about the person who was leading that regime at this time, uh, scholars would say, yeah, it was probably Nero. As First Peter was being written, Nero was the one that was leading the Roman Empire. And any guy who has murdered his own mother, 
and murdered uh, his, his two wives. Already is like, that's kind of tyrannical, right? So, so Nero at this point is leading out of this power-hungry spirit. And no matter what it costs, he's going to be on top of the world. And for Christianity at this time, for the early church, it was a difficult season because of that. Because they were within the Roman Empire. Like a couple weeks ago here at Anthem, we were having our five-year celebration, right? Out in the parking lot, having some pizza, enjoying fellowship with other believers, had like bounce houses out there. That wouldn't have been happening at this time because they, for, for people that were living in Rome, they were lucky to live for five years as a believer because of the way that Christians were treated. They were, they were marginalized, they were maimed in the Colosseum, and they were martyrs for their faith. And so that's kind of the historical context at the time as far as First Peter. Thus far, we've been uh, through chapter 1. Matt and Chris preached through that, uh, talking about how we have a holy God, how this holy God has sent his holy son to be a living hope so that we, through Christ, could be a holy people. And then last week, Brandon preached in chapter 2, talking about how we as little infants have this craving for milk, right? And for us as believers, we're to have that same craving for God. We're to have that desire in our hearts for the Lord and for his word, because with that, we're a spiritual house. We're the Lord's royal priesthood that gets to show the world that we're living in, and for this time, show Rome, the world that they were living in, who God was through their behavior among themselves and through their behavior with the world. And so this morning, we're going to be in verses 13 to 25, and we're going to be looking at uh, a section where Peter's answering some ethical questions that they seemed to have been asking. If you can imagine people at that time, they're living under that government, and they're like, uh, I got a question, Peter. What do we do about Nero? What do we do about this government? What do we do about the fact that maybe we're slaves in this area of Asia? How do we interact with our slave masters? What do we do with this? We're in a section where Peter is answering those questions. And so this morning, we're going to kind of march through three different daily principles that I believe are in 1 Peter. The first principle is renewing the interior. So if we're talking about a spiritual house... That's who we're to be as the church. That's who we're to be as individuals within our homes, within our workplaces. The first principle is renewing the interior. We'll see that in chapter one and two. And then also this engaging of the exterior. So the way that we live and what it displays to the world outside of ourselves, outside of the church walls. And then point number three, the daily principle of remembering the foundation that is Jesus. And so uh, let's go ahead and start with principle one, renewing the interior of our spiritual house as believer. Where do we see it? First uh, Peter 1, go ahead and turn back to the first chapter in First Peter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Peter has already said, you guys are born again through this living hope that is Jesus Christ. And so you need to have this renewing of your interior each day by remembering your identity. Remembering your identity. And so we see that area of internal renewal where it's, okay, this is who I am. Jump ahead to verse 22 in chapter one. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, 
for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. And so he's saying, yep, renew the interior. You're born again to this living hope. You know your identity, but your identity also has an effect on how you behave with others. And he's talking about the heart here. As you interact with other people, have a love. Not just a simple love, an easy love, a love when you want to love, but an earnest love. Where else do we see it? In 1 Peter 2, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. There he's talking about their spiritual conduct, their daily living. You need to consider renewing your interior day by day so that you're not full of what? Malice, deceit, hate, hypocrisy, envy. Why? Because those are things that are not of the spiritual house. Those aren't defining characteristics of God and so they aren't to be attributes of a believer. But those are things and behaviors to put away. And then finally we see beyond conduct, also in verse 11, beloved, I urge you. So he's speaking to believers. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He talks about even for believers, there has to be this daily renewing because there's this looming darkness, this tempting darkness for a believer every day. Different things happen in our daily lives that cause us to have to make a decision. Am I going to live for God's glory in this moment? Or am I going to live for my own? And, and so why does Peter emphasize this renewing? Because as I shared from chapter one, he's talking about how they, they're, they're going to be living life from this confused identity if they don't go before the Lord day after day, reminding themselves of who they are. They're going to have this waging war against an ongoing sin in their life. Which, which by result of that, what, what we're doing when we're letting sin reign in our life, we're giving the key to our spiritual house to the enemy. And when we give the key of our spiritual house to the enemy, we start to act different. And so there's the renewing of the interior that needs to happen because of the ongoing sin that wages war against us every day. And then finally, believe that he's communicating this about renewing the interior because it makes sense before you jump into a passage where you're telling people to submit and honor others that you've already done the homework before the Lord each morning, before the Lord each day to have your own interior renewed because when we don't, impurity reigns and we're blinded from seeing the good call of God, which in this case would be the good call of God to submit, the good call of God to honor. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what Jesus is saying there is when we're not pure in heart, we don't see God. I don't know if you've ever been in a season like that before, but I know, you know, prayed to receive Christ at like six, seven years old, followed after Jesus, had a season of doubt, still believe I was a believer at that point, was just struggling, and then had a season of sin where I was living in darkness and I knew it. And for some reason though, I kept asking like, why don't I just sense this nearness to God? Like I was so lost if you would ask me my name. I don't know if I would have been able to tell you because I was just blind. And so I think the final reason why, why Peter's talking about this internal renewal of the spiritual house is because when we're not being renewed day by day, we're blind from seeing 
the goodness of God and his word and the commands that he has for us. And so how do we renew the interior daily if the early church was asking Peter that? We'd be remembering our identity as children of God. So if we want to renew the interior daily, Peter is saying you need to remember the identity that you have as a child of God. And I'm pulling that from verse 5 of chapter 2 where he's talking about the spiritual house or the royal priesthood in verse 9. Like, this is your identity. And so there needs to be this remembrance each day, daily principle, this remembrance, I'm a child of God in my identity. There also needs to be this removal of actions from the old heart. When it talks about malice, when it talks about deceit in verse 1, those are things that need to be removed. And that's up in the next slide. It shows like, okay, we have to have this ongoing, everyday renewal, not only with our identity reminding ourselves, but also with our actions and cutting things away. And then finally, to run ahead in God's will and not our own. Because when we run ahead in our own will, what happens is we start to give in to the temptations of the flesh and the passions of darkness rather than light. And so the fruit of this reconstruction and renewal is that the spiritual house is purified. And as we're purified day by day, coming before the Lord, remembering who we are, confessing sin, and living to do the Lord's will, as we do that daily renewal, then we're in a position to hear a passage that says, you know, submit to maybe people who are dishonorable. Honor people who are unjust. And so with that in mind, let's go into the, the second principle, which is engaging the exterior, taking what's happening internally and living it outward. And so let's go ahead and reread verses 13 to 20. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a covering up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Other versions will say, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter responds with how to engage the exterior, and it's through being a witness. It's through being a witness in how you live. And so verse 13, he says, submit to every human institution. That's with your actions. Submit to every human institution. That means put yourself under. Put yourself underneath the human institutions that exist. So for them at that time, that meant the Roman government. It might have meant the regional leaders. It might have meant the local leaders that were around them, that were leading them in their portion of the world. Be subject, submit to every human institution, he says. Verse 13 and 14, he also says, be subject to the emperor and those he employs. And so that means it's not just an institutional thing, it's also an individual thing. And at this point, it was the emperor Nero, where Peter is saying, submit to him. Submit to Nero. This guy who's killed 
two wives and his mother. Submit to him. And then from there, it goes on to talk about uh, for household slaves and servants to submit to their masters, even if what? They're unjust. Even if they're a pain in the neck. Even if they're frustrating. Even if they're unfair. Even if they've taken your rights. Submit yourself to them. And, and you can think at this point, like, okay, I'm putting myself in the shoes of the people at that time, and it just doesn't seem to make sense. Like, okay, Peter, we can get on board with chapter one, living hope, great. Like, we have Christ, we have freedom, we have hope. We'll be a holy people? Okay, cool. I, I love following in godliness, you know, when, it, when it's in areas that I want to. Thank you, Peter, for delivering us that word. Chapter two, awesome, we're a royal priesthood. I feel great. But Peter, what on earth are you talking about in verse 13 where you're saying submit to this institution that's maybe dispersed me from my family, that's maybe taken my rights, that's killed people that I know. Submit to them. Why? And Peter answers that for them. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. He's saying it's not about you. This is for the Lord's sake that you would submit to someone who does not seem to be worth submitting to. It's for the Lord's sake. It's your witness. It's for the glory of God. It's not about your personal preference in this moment. He's saying it's not about the law that you would maybe prefer. It's not about, oh, I wish it would have been this guy, not that guy who was put on the throne. You know, wish we would have had a hero, not Nero up there. Like, oh man, we, we should have someone else. Like, come on. But no, he says it's for the Lord's sake. And he doesn't stop there. Verse 15, he says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And I believe what he means by that is, you know what? If you guys are able to submit to people and honor people who maybe aren't worth submitting and honoring in your mind, if you're able to do that, think of the witness you can be. You can put to silence their ignorance in that moment. And so for those servants that maybe didn't want to submit because their master was cruel, they were able to be a light to their master because their master know they were, they, they, they would know they were being a pain. They would know if they were treating them unjustly. But to see someone unconditionally love them, unconditionally honor them, unconditionally submit to them, it communicates a message. And it was the same dynamic that Peter was talking about for submitting to the emperor. Verse 21, he says, For to this you have been called. As a spiritual house, he's saying, You guys are the royal priesthood. You, you have that title. Walk with joy and confidence because of that. But if you're going to accept that title... Here's the conduct in how you live. You, you honor the dishonorable and you submit to those who you don't agree with. Why? For your witness. For your witness. Engaging the exterior meant being a witness through the spiritual house. And, and to be clear, what Peter did not say was always obey every human institution's laws. He didn't say always obey every law that ever exists. He didn't do that. He, he was saying, 
submit to them, not necessarily to every law. Because let's be real, there, there's been laws all throughout history that do not line up with the word of God. And so we can even reference Peter himself in Acts 5 in a situation that he's in where he's been interacting with the government and he has this one-liner which is easy for us to love. Ah, we must obey God rather than men. It's like, well, that seems counter to, to what he's saying here. No, not necessarily. We're to submit ourselves, put ourselves under leadership, but it does not mean that we let that leadership necessarily just rule our life if they're coming up with these laws and suggestions for life that are against God's word. And so up on the screen, I'm gonna have a little bit of a, a triage thing that I put together to kind of explain uh, what's going on here. And so there's an obedience structure and then there's an authority structure. The obedience structure is we have God's word and as believers, we submit to that. This is our rule book for life. This is how we understand how to live. It's our compass. Come up with a lot of analogies for what God's word is for us. It's our lifeblood. And so there's God's word, we submit to that. Then there's laws that human institutions create that align with the heart of God's word. And so we as a church submit and obey to those laws because it's underneath what God has called us to. And then there's other laws that are maybe undefined or unclear or they seem vague when we pull out the Bible and then look at the law. And for those sort of laws, we need to consider, discern, and decide. We need to have a church body around us that's going to help instruct us, give us counsel of, hey, this is how you think through this situation. This is how you think through, you know, the vaccine thing. This is how you think through uh, just the, the different things that come up on our plate, you know, as everyday Christians. And so you have that counsel around you. You consider, you go to the Lord, pray for discernment from the Spirit, and then you make a decision in faith, believing that it's to the glory of God and not to the glory of yourself or your preference. And then there's laws that are against the heart of God's word. And it's with those laws that I believe we have grace to submit to God first. And so that's a, a lens that we can think through when we're considering, okay, what's the obedience structure when it comes to laws of the land? Laws that are put in front of us. How do we interact with that? This is kind of a lens to look through. But then what Peter also shares is the authority structure. That's the next slide. Lord of Lord, King of Kings, that's who we submit fully to, who we submit faithfully to. And then we submit to the human institutions that that, that God put in place. And then there's us. To give some more scripture on that, Romans 13, this is Paul writing to the people of Rome. Tough place but this is what they're hearing from Paul. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, those authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist incur judgment. So he's talking about those human institutions that exist, the, the federal government, the law officials, the teachers, the, the different city officials, submit to them as an entity. This heart of submission, and then also there's this call to have an ethic of honor through humility. In Romans 12, Paul writing to the people of Rome says, love one another with brotherly affection out.
do one another in showing honor. He's pretty much saying have some honor competitions among fellow believers to see who can honor others the most. I know it feels kind of corny, but when you think about it, it's like, yeah, like what if we did live our life that way? Like when we considered others' opinions and others' preferences, if we honored them in that, that's communicating uh, just the love of Christ. And so what Paul was saying to, to the people of Rome was outdo one another in honor. And I believe that's the same heart that we can have towards the institutions that God has put in place. As I was thinking through just this idea of submission and honor, uh, the, the name Louis Zamperini came to mind. I don't know if you've read the book Unbroken or seen the movie Unbroken, but pretty crazy story. This guy was an Olympian in the, the 1930s, ran fast. You know, I think he did the mile or something like that. He was supposed to be the first guy to break the mile in four minutes, which is fast, very fast. And for Louis Zamperini, he was living his life one way, and then all of a sudden he's like, ah, I got to go to war. Okay, World War II, it's happening. Goes on a plane. Plane goes down over the Pacific. That happened a lot. There were a ton of planes that before they would even get to the enemy, the, it would malfunction. So just be thankful we don't live during that time period. Planes are much more uh, agreeable now. And so anyway, he, he's trying to, you know, fight for the country, and plane goes down. He's on a raft. He, he lives through the, the crash. He's on a raft for like 50-some days, like literally sharks swirling around. Like it, it seems like only something from the movies, but it really happened. By the grace of God, he's, he's rescued out of that, but who is he rescued by? The Japanese, and as he goes to Japan, he finds himself in a concentration camp, and as he's there, he is treated like an animal. He's beaten. The, this man and leader over him, who's more or less his slave master, puts him in like a four foot by four foot by four foot box to live. And he's over there for years. Comes back by the grace of God, like he's rescued after the war ends, returns to the U.S., has a pretty rough dealing with PTSD, understandable, alcoholic. God confronts him though gives his life to Christ. And what does he do? But he does everything he can to meet the person who beat him to a pulp so that he could forgive him. The honor and the love and the unconditional nature of a guy who's been beaten to then go to the captor, fly across the world to try to meet him. Like, that's an honorable and a loving thing that communicates what? A healthy spiritual house to the lost world that we're living in. And so he flies there, tries to find him. They're like, no, he committed honorable suicide. Sorry. But the point is, that's a level of honor that is rare. And so we see Peter's push to have this grace and honor a grace of Christ that honors the dishonorable, a grace of Christ that submits to tyrants who maybe don't deserve it. Principle three is remembering the foundation. We cannot do this without Christ. Let's read verses 21 through the end. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. That means abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, that is God, who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Amen. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ is the foundation of the spiritual house that we're building. That's, that's why he's ending this section with that, saying this is our model, this is our source, this is our example. How did he do it? He submitted and honored God unlike any other by submitting to man, even when it hurt, even when it led him to the cross, even when it led to his death. Verse 24, chapter 2 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness so we can experience life with Christ. And so what was the secret? The secret was humility. The secret was humility. Jesus in faith, in step with the will of God, comes to earth as a sacrifice so that we can have a way to God. And part of that was humbling himself before a man. And he was spat upon. He was treated poorly. But he knew it was worth it to submit to God, to honor God in that way. In Philippians, Paul says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What did humility look like? He suffered for us. 1 Peter 2, verse 21, he suffered for us. Humility looked like suffering. Verse 22, committed no sin, spoke no deceit, when he was treated poorly. Like, can you imagine that being beaten and saying nothing to fight back, saying nothing to try to one-up the other person? He was humble. He did not revile in return. Verse 23, he did not threaten. And what was the outcome? Verse 24, by the grace of God, by his wounds, he offered us healing. Which means that Christ is our foundation to our spiritual house and witness. And here's the thing to hold on to. Jesus' submission and suffering resulted in our salvation. The witness of Jesus and the witness of his suffering led to our salvation. And the reality is, through our submission, through our suffering, and through our honor of others we can help lead others to salvation as well we can lead others to see Christ we can lead others to see the strength and the power and the grace and the love of the almighty God a far better picture of leadership than Nero and a far better picture of leadership than anyone else on earth and we get to take part in that as individuals and as a church In 1996, Louis Zamperini uh, heard from, I don't remember the source, but heard that, okay, this guy who said he had committed suicide honorably, he's actually alive. He learns in 1996 that he's alive. And so what does he do? He, he's like, all right, I'm going to reach out to him. I want to go meet him. I want to go talk to this guy who beat me to a pulp so I can show him the love and honor and grace that Christ has given me. 
not able to get a hold of the guy, but he does write a letter, and let's listen to his words. This is what he wrote to that man. As a result of my prisoner of war experience, under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but also as a human being, were stripped. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you because Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. When Louis Zamperini considered, how do I treat the guy who beat me? How do I interact with him? He had a fork in the road decision. And for a while, he, he was taking the path of rebellion. For a while, his plan was to find that man and kill him. But because there was an intersection point where he met God, Jesus did a work in his heart. And in that work of the heart, he then takes the path of righteousness. And the path of righteousness pursues people. The path of righteousness shows other people honor even when they don't deserve it. Shows people grace and love when you think they maybe shouldn't receive that from you. And so he took the path of righteousness. And this morning we have a fork in the road decision. And every day forward we have a fork in the road decision. How are we going to honor and submit to other people around us? Are we going to be on the path of rebellion where we say, you know, submission and honor is not my thing and I'm not going to follow through with that? And in doing that, you are marring the witness of the church of Christ? Or are you going to walk on the path of righteousness where you see honor and submission as a tool to show other people the glory of God? How do you want to go down rebellious or righteous about your rights or about your witness, about your independence or about your example, about your preference or about your God? Honoring the king demands us to honor the dishonorable. Why? For the Lord's sake. And so this morning for you, maybe there's some interior work, some interior renewal that needs to happen to help get you there, to be in a place where that even seems like an option. Maybe it's praying to receive Christ for the first time and submitting to the King of Kings, Lord of all creation, through the work of Jesus on the cross. Maybe that's the step for you. Maybe the step is some different interior work where you're reflecting on some pride in your heart and you're seeing the humility of Christ and saying, I want that. And there's some maybe, maybe some conversations that need to happen for you to have with other people where you can confess to them and say, you know what, I haven't been honoring you very well. Would you forgive me? Or maybe there's a, a leader in the past that you did not submit to and you were rebellious and you could go to them and say, you know what, Jesus did a work in my heart. Would you forgive me? And for others, maybe it's just thinking more how your peaceable heart as a believer can engage the exterior. Maybe there's officials that you don't love, governments you might not prefer, laws you'd rather not notice, teachers or bosses, professors that might not deserve your honor, but what if you honored them and showed them the love of Christ? Who is someone that you could honor well today, tomorrow, next week? What are some follow-up conversations you need to have? That's what I'll leave you with. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be a people that 
see beauty in outdoing one another and honoring for your glory. And I pray uh, that we would be humble before your word and see that there's something beautiful about surrendering all of us to you. God, that we would allow this renewing of our interior so that we can be a light and witness to the world that we're walking in. God, for some, it may be bowing at your feet for the first time, confessing to you as the King of kings, and for others, Lord, it might be bowing at your feet to turn in proverbial weapons of rebellion that are in our heart. And so, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would do a work, and that we would be a church that is a shining spiritual house for your glory, not for our pride, for to look good, but for your glory, so that more would know, love, and obey you. In Jesus' name.